I am mindful of the fact that right now Green Bay is playing Dallas. We want to pray for Pastor Cody that God's grace would be sufficient for him. Before working for Kitsap Transit, I was a field operations manager for a property development group. And we would go to auction and we would buy you know, a house and then we would fix it up. And we'd resell it, hopefully for a profit. And uh, one of the things that was my responsibility was before we went and bid on a house, I would go and inspect it. Now, most of the time, it was locked up. We couldn't go inside. We couldn't see what it was uh, that was happening inside the place. But we could walk around it. And one of the things, in fact, the most important thing for me was to check the foundation. If the foundation was bad, it didn't matter how much paint you threw on it. It didn't, didn't matter if you put in hardwood floors or new appliances. If the foundation is bad, the house was bad. In our study that we began two weeks ago, we're looking at the foundation of the Christian life. What is the Christian life all about? If we do not get the foundation correct, then it doesn't matter what we do in the Christian life, it's going to be bad. We have to get the foundation correct. So the first two messages, God's grace. All that God gives us, he gives us by his grace. Faith. Faith is the only authorized response to God's grace. We live by faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So there are two foundation blocks. I want to lay another foundation block today. And that is the understanding of the flesh. If we get this wrong, then we're in deep trouble in our Christian life. There's a lot of Christians who do not understand what the flesh is and how it affects them. So today we're going to look at the three faces of the flesh. Now before I get there, the Bible talks about three battles that go on within believers. The first is the flesh versus the spirit. If the flesh wins this battle, we then go on to another battle, and that is believer versus believer. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, if you brought your Bibles, let's get them out. Let's take a look. Galatians 5, 15. If the flesh wins the battle in the flesh versus the spirit, then it goes to believer versus believer. Now, you have probably never seen this in a church, have you? If you've only been going to church for one week, maybe. Galatians chapter 5, verse 15 says, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. When the flesh wins the battle of the flesh versus the spirit, then it becomes believer against believer. Whenever you see that happening in a church, you know the flesh is winning that battle of the flesh versus the spirit. Now, if the spirit wins that first battle of the flesh versus the spirit, then there's a third battle that takes place. And that is the spirit 
versus Satan. <coughs> Go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, 10. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, we read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You and I are no match against the devil. If it's you and I fighting the devil, it's not a battle, it's a slaughter. Okay? We can't do it. When we try to do battle with Satan in our own strength, we're in big trouble. It has to be the flesh, excuse me, it has to be the spirit versus Satan. And if we get time in weeks to come, we'll look more about that battle. But today I want to look at the battle with the flesh. The flesh versus the spirit. This is a battle that goes on within you and I all the time. Go to Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. We read, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Now this is what the Bible calls the flesh. Now, when the Bible uses the word flesh, in this context, it's not referring to the physical flesh. You know, that thing that covers our, our bones and our muscles and a lot of our fat and, you know, that type of stuff. Okay, it's not talking about that. It, here's my definition, anyhow. The flesh is the old patterns, desires, and habits by which we have attempted to get all our needs supplied in the past. It's those old patterns, those old desires, those old habits that we have accumulated through the years, and it's those things that we rely on to get what we want. Instead of seeking Christ, instead of trusting him to meet our needs, we revert back to these old patterns, these old desires, these old habits. We call that the flesh. Now, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that there are three categories of the flesh. And here's what I've named them. Dirty, rotten flesh. By the way, they're all named after movies or songs. Okay. Dirty, rotten flesh. Second one is, I did it my way flesh. Thank you, Frank Sinatra. And the third one is counterfeit flesh. So let's begin with dirty, rotten flesh. Dirty, rotten flesh is the most obvious works of the flesh. We go over to Galatians chapter 5. Verses 19 through 21, we see the dirty, rotten flesh. Here we read, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are these? Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these. In other words, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These actions are all flagrant violations of the word of God. 
Now, I think almost every Christian knows that these things are wrong. And when we do them, we suffer from guilt and anxiety and all of that when we commit one of these acts. These are the Christians who are the adulterers, the the spouse abusers, the child molesters, the, the violent tempers. They cheat on their income tax. They steal from their employer. These works of the flesh are are the the visible marks of of what we would call the hypocrites in the church. These are the ones that are so obvious that we we, we can't help but see them and say, oh, that is so against the word of God. That is so carnal. That is so flesh. But not only are they obvious to us, but they're also obvious to the world. And these become then the excuses for the unsaved in, in rejecting Christ. They say, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so Christian, and you know, they claim to be a Christian, and look what they do, type of a thing. It's obvious to everyone that the flesh is in control of his or her life. And the thing we need to note here is dirty, rotten flesh actively fights against the Holy Spirit. When this flesh is in control of us, it is fighting what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Now, next week, we're going to lay the the fourth of the foundation blocks, and that is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. The flesh fights against the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, I think this is obvious. We don't need to spend a lot of time here. Everybody knows that these things are not what the Christian is supposed to be doing. So let's move on. From dirty, rotten flesh, we get to I did it my way flesh. Now, this flesh is not so obvious, but it's nonetheless of the flesh or fleshly. It does not actively fight against the Holy Spirit. It simply ignores the Holy Spirit. This flesh shows itself in the Christian who leaves God out of their life, either all of it, or even a portion of it. These would be the Christians who don't read their Bible, they don't pray, they don't serve God. You know, they're saved, but they just leave God out of their life. He's not an active part of that. I want you to think about Noah for a minute. Are you thinking about Noah? Okay, good. Thinking about Noah? Think about the days of Noah. What was it like? in the days of Noah? What was the world like? What were people like back then? Well, if you go to Genesis 6-5, we read a little bit about what it was like on earth. Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Can you imagine, and, and you know, we could just let our minds go, go wild here, uh, you know, thinking about what was going on, the murders and the rape and the pillage and all these horrible things that were going on in the time of Noah that caused God to say, you know, it grieves me to see all of this going on. I'm going to send a flood and, you know, all of that. But Jesus gives us another insight, I think into the evil that was going on in the earth 
in Noah's day. Over in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Now where is the evil here? Where is the evil? It says they ate and they drank. Doesn't say they got drunk. Doesn't say they overate. They ate, they drank. They got engaged. That's good. They got married. That's good. Now, I have read books from theologians who have tried to say, oh, no, why each one of these was so evil. But you know, I think what it's saying is that they did the common everyday activities of life. So where's the evil? The evil is what is, in, what is absent here. Man, in Noah's time, left God completely out of the picture. They just went on their way. They lived their life. They, they didn't include God. They didn't think about God. They didn't do anything with God. They just went on their life their own way. And I think this, I did it my way, Christian, are guilty of the same evil. The I did it my way Christians just going on through their life, just doing their things. They're eating, they're drinking, they're getting engaged, they're getting married. You know, they, they do all the daily activities of life, but they're doing it without including God. And you know what? You know what we do? I'm going to say we here, because I won't include myself, because I've certainly have been guilty of this. Because we're not guilty of any of the big, bad sins, we think we're doing pretty well. We think we're doing okay. You know, sure, we're ignoring God. Sure, we're, you know, we're, we're not reading the Word. We're not praying. We're just going through life as practical atheists, really. We think there's nothing wrong with us. The Apostle Paul said as we get closer to the return of Christ that we're going to have more I did it my way Christians. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it talks about, and, and I believe the understanding of these verses are it's not the condition of the world before Christ returns, it's the condition of the believers. It's the condition of the church before Christ returns. And it lists these these characteristics, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. There are many Christians today who love the world more than they love God. And how we spend our time, I think, speaks volumes concerning our lack of interest in spiritual things. So ignoring God keeps us from God's grace gifts, pre prevents us from growing in our relationship with God. So you've got the dirty, rotten flesh. You've got the I did it my way flesh. The third one 
what I call counterfeit godly flesh. Counterfeit godly flesh. Dirty, rotten flesh fights against the Holy Spirit. I did it my way flesh ignores the Holy Spirit. Counterfeit godliness flesh impersonates the Holy Spirit. It looks and it seems like the real thing, but it is not. Christians with counterfeit godliness flesh, these people are active in the church. You know, these people are the Sunday school teachers and sing in the choir and they never miss a church activity. The problem is not in what they do, the problem is in why they do it. See, this type of flesh seeks to gain the praise and the admiration of others by doing something religious. They aren't doing it for God. They're doing it for self, and that is of the flesh then. It might be for that warm, fuzzy feeling they get, or it might be to gain attention or the admiration of other Christians as they perform. But it does not please God because it's of the flesh. Along with fleshly motivation, I believe, is fleshly energy. Many Christians are trying to do the work of the Lord in the energy of the flesh, and that just doesn't work. I know from experience. It doesn't work. For a while, they might seem successful, but sooner or later, problems are going to arise. Have you ever heard the phrase Christian burnout? Christian burnout? It means somehow the power to do, live the Christian life came to an end. Fleshly energy will come to an end. The power of God in our life never comes to an end. We've traded spirit-controlled power for a powerless fleshly energy. Now, I know someone who would get an A in this department, okay? Doing the work of the Lord in the energy of the flesh, or thinking he was, and I'm going to name names this morning. I hope you don't mind, okay? I'm going to call them out on the carpet. The guilty person is the Apostle Paul, okay? Go over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Here's Paul's testimony. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, there he's pointing at it, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. From all outward appearance, Paul had a relationship with God. He was doing all the things that he was supposed to do, and he was exceeding in all of them. But in reality, all Paul, or really Saul at that time, had was an empty religion. And one day he came to understand the emptiness of religion. One day he came to a totally different conclusion in Philippians 3, 7. 
Continuing on, Paul says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Everything that he did in the energy of the flesh, even though it looked spiritual, it looked religious, Paul says it was rubbish. And so Paul traded his empty religion for an intimate relationship with God. In comparison, the religion was garbage. The relationship was true gain. And so we see that there are many Christians who appear to have a close relationship with God, but in reality, all they have is a fleshly religion. Counterfeit godliness, produced by the flesh, is a poor substitute for the real thing. I once worked for a security company, and one of the things we had to do was to learn how to recognize counterfeit money. And they didn't bring a bunch of counterfeit money in for us to look at. They, they had us examine real things so that when we had a clear grasp of what was real, then anything that wasn't real would just jump out at us automatically. And we learned that the most dangerous counterfeit is the one that looks the most like the real thing. The most dangerous counterfeit spirituality is not the dirty, rotten flesh. It's not the I did it my way flesh. The most dangerous counterfeit spirituality is the one that looks the most like the real thing. And that is the counterfeit spirituality. All right, we've identified three different faces of the flesh. Now, is it really that bad? Is it, 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 can we kind of just get along with it? Can we just kind of cope with it and just deal with it? Well, go to Galatians chapter 5 again. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. I'm looking at verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Did you notice? The flesh is in opposition to the Spirit. It fights against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot do His work within us if we are fighting the Holy Spirit by allowing the flesh to be in control of our life. See, each type of the flesh seeks to defeat the Holy Spirit by taking advantage of our self-centered nature. The dirty, rotten flesh is the most obvious. You know, that's kind of, if it feels good, do it. I'm a baby boomer, you know, born right after World War II. And, you know, we've got several mottos, us baby boomers. One of them is look out for number one. And number two is, it feels good, do it. But you know, I find that this is something that is in with, within all of us. We want what we want, 
And nobody's going to keep us from getting it. That's the dirty, rotten flesh. The I did it my way flesh, it kind of feeds on our pride. You know, we're not doing any of the really bad things. By ignoring God, we follow our own devices. I learned a phrase quite a few years back that just has stuck with me, and it has so many applications. It's this. The Holy Spirit of God uses the Holy Word of God to produce the Holy Child of God. If we're fighting the Holy Spirit, if we're not in the Word of God, then we can't expect to become that holy person in our practice. When we ignore God, when we're not in the Word, then the Holy Spirit has nothing to use to bring us to true godliness. So the I did it my way flesh fights against the Spirit. The counterfeit godliness flesh is effective against the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons is because it's so hard to detect. I love going away for prayer retreats. I love to spend just two or three days just praying. When I go away on a prayer retreat, the first thing I do in my prayer time is say, okay, God, show me what you don't like. Show me what you don't like within me. I have learned that allowing God 10 minutes to do that is not sufficient. It's usually three to four hours of God revealing to me what's wrong within me, what he's not pleased with. And I don't believe that we can really detect counterfeit godliness within us with a quick 10-question test. It's something we need to just bear our souls to God and say, God, judge my motives. See, see, reveal to me what is displeasing to you. Through legalism, outward pressure. Congregations have been misled into thinking that they're godly when in fact they're victims of counterfeit godliness. And you know, Satan is just as happy to use one form of the flesh as another form of the flesh. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if it's dirty, rotten flesh or I did it my way flesh or counterfeit spirituality flesh. As long as he gets us operating in the flesh, we know that it will fight the Holy Spirit's work within us. So now, what do we do about that? How do we defeat the flesh? Well, number one, identifying the enemy within is half the battle. When we can identify the enemy within, we've, we're halfway there. Now that we're aware of the three faces of the flesh, we can be looking for their symptoms. And when we do that, then we can become proactive instead of just reactive in our Christian life. But the biblical admonition for dealing with the flesh is to flee it. To flee it. Let me, let's look at some scriptures. We got time here. First Timothy six eleven. First Timothy six eleven. But you, O man of God, 
flee these things. Well, what things is he talking about? Well, if you go back to verse 10, you see he's talking about foolish, harmful desires, things like that. So flee these things. In other words, flee the flesh and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. When it comes to the battle of the spirit versus Satan, we are told to stand. Stand firm in the armor. When it comes to the battle of the flesh versus the spirit, we are not told to stand. We are told to flee. Run away. Usually in a battle, it's not good to run away. <laughs> you know, because then you expose your back to the enemy, and we certainly won't, don't want to do that in the battle of fighting the spirit against Satan. But the flesh is within us. So it's always at our back. It's always there. So we're told to flee. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. First Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. What is idolatry? It's part of the work of the flesh, the dirty, rotten flesh. We are told to flee that. Go over to 1 Corinthians 6, 18. First Corinthians 6, 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What's the admonition? Flee. Run away from. Get as far away from it as possible. Now, I work for Kitsap Transit, so I'm going to tell you a transit story. Okay? Um, it's not, I'll tell you right up front, it's not true. It's one of those things that are made up, okay? Uh, but it's got a point to it, okay? A guy goes in to apply for a job driving a bus. And the interviewer asks him, you know, how close to the edge of the road can you drive without endangering the lives of the passengers on the bus? And the man says, I can drive within two feet of the side of a cliff. And they say, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. And he's dismissed. The next bus driver, potential bus driver, comes in. They ask him the same question. How close to the edge of a cliff can you drive without endangering the lives of the passengers? He says, I can drive within one foot of a cliff. And the people say, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. Third person comes in. Same question. How close to the edge of a cliff can you drive without endangering the lives of your passengers? And he says, I stay as far away from cliffs as I can get. And he got hired. Now, sometimes we as Christians want to see how close to sin we can get without sinning. You know, I can go there, but I won't, you know, whatever. Flee sexual immorality. You know, put your fences out there wherever it's safe for you 
so that you're not caught in a compromising position where you'll be tempted. I, I know my wife and I, very early in our marriage, came to some conclusions about how we were going to do that. And one of those is that I would never allow another woman to ride alone with me in the car. Okay? That's where my fence was. Is that biblical? Is there a verse we can go to for that? No, but that's where I put my fence because I wanted to flee immorality. I wanted to stay as far away from it as I could possibly get. Therefore, I did not want to put myself in in a compromising position. Another woman is not allowed inside our house when I'm alone. Okay? That's where we put the fence up. Flee sexual immorality, I believe, means saying I'm going to run and I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay as far away as I can from it. 2 Timothy 2.22. Let's look over there. Here's one I don't have a problem with anymore. I don't qualify. Flee also youthful lust. It's the youthful part that I don't qualify for, okay? But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Do you know that it is, it is said by people who know things like this, whoever they are, we cannot live in a void. We cannot live in a void. We cannot remove something negative from our life without replacing it with something. If we do, if we just remove the negative, something automatic will come in. So it says here, remove youthful lust. And let's just take the word youthful out so we all know it applies to us. Okay? Flee lust. And then put something in the place of that. Righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Let's see. Let let me just pick out three here. Love, faith, peace. Does that ring a bell with anyone? Is that in another list somewhere in the Bible? Isn't that not part of the fruit of the Spirit? Why is it called fruit of the Spirit? Because it's what the Spirit produces in our life. Flee the flesh, replace it with the Spirit and what the Spirit wants to produce in our life. Now, I think we've got a wonderful example of this in the Bible. One who literally fled from the temptations of the flesh. Go to Genesis chapter 39. I love the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. I think it's because I relate a lot to Joseph, and I think a lot of us do, especially those of us who deal with issues of betrayal and abandonment, and you know, and who doesn't? Okay. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Yeah. It's sad that in the Christian life that a lot of the betrayal and abandonment issues come from our brothers and sisters in the church. But he gets down to Egypt. 
He's a slave. And then things get good. And then things get bad. And then things get good. Then things get bad. One of the good times was he's in this house of a man by the name of Potiphar. And he is really in charge of all of Potiphar's daily business. And he's running the, the, the business, he's running the house, he's, he's running everything, everything's going wonderful until Mrs. Potiphar comes along. And Mrs. Potiphar has uh, this desire to seduce Joseph. Now, Joseph did not try to reason with Mrs. Potiphar when she tried to seduce him. He did not say, let's sit down on the couch together and talk about this as two adults. Listen to what it says, Genesis 39, 12. It says, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. He fled, literally fled. And sometimes when fleshly desires come into our life, we need to flee. We need to flee the dirty, rotten flesh. If we see that we're living a life that is just ignoring God, we're not in the Word, we're not praying, God's not a part of our life, you know, we're involved in the I did it my way flesh, we need to flee it. We need to run away from it. We need to get up and say, this is not where I want to be. This is not where I want to go. This is fighting against the Holy Spirit. I'm getting out of here. And if we recognize within us that counterfeit flesh, where we realize, I've been going through the motions, I've been, I've been looking good, the pretense of spirituality has overcome the reality of spirituality in my life. We need to run away from it. We need to say, I cannot stand this another minute. I will not put myself here another hour. I will get away. See, Joseph had already decided he was not going to give in to the lust of the flesh. So when the time for action came, there was no hesitation. He just did it. We need to say, when the flesh comes, I will flee. We need to make that determination. Because you know what Satan does? He makes temptation look desirable. He makes it look like fun, like enjoyment, like pleasure. And we need, and boy, I cannot tell you how many times I have dealt with marriages, even just recently, where one of the individuals got caught up in adultery. And you ask them, what were you thinking? And they said, I wasn't. The temptation came and it just took me and, and, and surprised me. You know, make the plan now. When temptation comes, you're going to run away from it. So you don't have to make that decision on the spur of the moment. So I got three questions we're going to end with this morning. 
Three questions that each one of us needs to ask ourselves. Number one, what evidences of the three types of flesh have you seen in your own life? Dirty, rotten flesh? I did it my way flesh? Counterfeit flesh. Which evidences? It doesn't have to be one. It can be a couple of them. What evidences of the three types of the flesh have you seen in your own life? Question number two. Which type of the flesh is your greatest enemy? Identify it. Learn who your enemy is. And number three, what are you going to do about it? If you just go away from here today saying, wow, that was an interesting sermon. Wonder what time the next game's on. Missed the whole point. You look in a mirror so that you find out what's wrong so you can make the corrections, right? We've looked into the mirror of God's word today. What have you seen? And what are you going to do about it? As I close in prayer again, I'm going to give you some time for you to talk to the Lord. Not out loud. Don't want anybody talking out loud, praying out loud. You just talk to the Lord in your heart. And you answer those three questions. What evidence of the three types of the flesh have you seen in your own life? Which type of the flesh is your greatest enemy? And what are you going to do about it? And after I've given you a chance for you to talk to the Lord, then I'll close in prayer. Let's pray.